0: Well good morning welcome to Grace Presbyterian, I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we begin a new series covering the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. In a story that reveals the importance of faith and community, we're going to examine the way in which Nehemiah's conviction to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, transcend the impossibility of gaining permission, gathering materials and support, and overcoming opposition. Thanks for joining us over these next few weeks as we worship together through the study of this book. If I'm honest, it's a little intimidating to have all the bikers here. It's a little scary. Uh, I heard as you were rumbling in today uh, the sound of thunder, and I thought, is that a train going by? Uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh. As the bikers come to town. So uh, bikers tends to be uh, no-nonsense people, right? Just get straight to the point. So that's what we're going to do this morning, all right? We're going to get straight to the point. One of the things that I have seen, if I've learned anything about the biker community from Hollywood, is that they are a tightly-knit community, such as if you pick on one of them, you pick on all of them. Is that true? Help me out here. Is that true? No amens from that, from the biker community? (laughs) A uh, community, it, it, it's a wonderful thing. It, it, it's a family, and it truly is such that we carry one another's burdens. So the things that you face, you don't face alone. The things that happen to you, they don't happen to you alone. They affect all of us. There was a gal over um, in Zion Lutheran, just over in Felch, who I think it was just last month had her basement cave in, and I don't know if you saw this in the newspaper, but they, uh, the entire community of Felch bound together and they put on a, um, a, a fundraiser event to come and to help raise funds. You know why? Because what happens to you doesn't happen to you alone. Uh, we live in a community and we need to work for the sake of the community to serve one another. We're starting a brand new series that's going to take us into September this morning. It's on the book of Nehemiah. And uh, that might be a book that you haven't spent too much time in the Old Testament. But what we're going to do is we're going to walk just faithfully through that text. Finding what God has to teach us. And this morning we're going to be in chapter 1 and chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them out and turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. uh, Chapters 1 and 2. I've entitled this message, uh, For the Faith of the Community. And we're going to see that as we look through these first two chapters of Nehemiah, there are basically three acts, three panels of narrative, of story that, tra- that trace Nehemiah, this one who is serving over in a land that is not his own. I'll give you a little bit of the background here, that, that the nations of God, the people of God, Israel and Judah, they have been taken captive. You got to imagine if a foreign government were to come in here and carry all of us away. That we would go be displaced to live in a land that's not our own, to serve a, a king and a monarchy that we don't belong to. That's what's happened to Nehemiah. Nehemiah recounts a report of the folks that he knows back home, his family, his community. And off what he hears, we get the book of Nehemiah. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through these two chapters. And then I've got three very short Observations for how we can carry the truth of God's word into our daily lives to live it out. If you follow along with me, Nehemiah chapter 1, 750. page 750 in the Pew Bibles if you're still searching for Neh- the book of Nehemiah. All right, here we go. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So I want everybody to make sure we're tracking here. Uh, he is serving in Persia. Nehemiah is working in the court of the king, and he has a, a brother of his that could be an actual sibling or that's more likely to be one of his kingsmen. Uh, that has come back from his hometown and he wants to hear how are things going back with uh, my, my, my people, right? How, how are they doing? And tell me about the city. You know, you could picture in your mind uh, what your hometown looks like, wherever you grew up. Imagine if you met somebody from that hometown, if you're, if you're from uh, far, the, far away, not from the UP. And wouldn't you be interested to find out, hey, how's it going back home? Is the, is the movie theater still running? You know, the drugstore though there? How, how are the Thompsons and the Joneses, right? You'd be, you'd be interested to find out how things are going. That's what's happening right now. So we're about to get the report. Here we go in verse 3. They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees and the laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying that if you are unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength in your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. That's the first act. All right, so that's our first panel, and uh, you can see what's, what's gone on. Uh, Nehemiah serving in the court of the king, has some friends come, some brothers come from his homeland, wants to get a report, but when he hears of it, he is wounded to his soul. And he is answer, his solution to this, is the prayer that we have concluding in chapter 1. So let's look now at the second act, beginning in chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, When wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. And so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad? When the city of my fathers are burned, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with his queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, and so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governor of Trans-Euphrates and I gave them the king's letters. And the king had also sent army officers and a cavalry with me when Sanballat, the Haranite, And Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. All right, this ends the second act. And so what what was going on in this part of the story uh, was where Nehemiah comes before the king. Remember, he's the cupbearer. Very important role for any sense of royalty because assassination was never far off the horizon. And so you needed someone you could trust would make sure that anything that was brought to you was safe well guess what in the providence of God the king of Persia chose who chose Nehemiah to be that man now you can imagine serving the king your demeanor would rightly be recognized daily and the king looks and he just sees this servant of his perhaps the second highest in command of the of the whole country and his face was just wearing his emotions Are you like that? Anybody here like that? You just can't hide it when you're feeling sad and you don't want anybody to bother you. But you just it's just right there for everybody to read. That was Nehemiah. And the king says, why are you so sad? And he goes on to recount to him, why should I be sad? When the place where my fathers are buried just lies in ruins. And he he goes on to have an invitation from the king of what is it that I could do for you? And by faith, he trusts that he'll ask this king, the one. And you should know that the historical account here of Persian kings was something you should fear. Did you remember seeing that in the text? He said, I was very afraid. I said, Let the king live forever, right? Because he knew one wrong word. You do one thing out of the line and the king rightly could have your head. You could be killed just like that. But instead, because God's gracious hand was upon Nehemiah, not only is he sent back to his country... To rebuild that which is nearest and dearest to his heart. But he is also given safe passage. He's given uh, soldiers. He's given cavalry. He's given timbers. It's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? All right. That concludes uh, with this last section where there are these two individuals that show up. Sandballad and Tobiah. Did you see that at the very end? Where they're going to... The story's getting good now, folks. All right. This is some conflict showing up. Uh, They're going to oppose Nehemiah. They're going to begin to mock and ridicule him. So let's now look at the final act. Let's read this third panel. Verse 11. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went throughout the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved towards the fountain gate, the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up from the valley by night examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because I had yet Uh, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we'll no longer be in disgrace. And I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. But when Sanballat, the Haranite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem, nor any claim or historic right to it. Chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Nehemiah. We could spend hours unpacking lessons of leadership that are found in here, lessons of community that are woven through this, even preparing us onto the rest of the book. I'd like to share with you, though, what I think are the three biggest takeaways that we can learn from this text. The the first is this. And I have these recorded for you in your sermon notes if you're following along. It's prayer. And this is how I want to phrase it to you. If you see a need, hit your knees. If you see a need, get down on your knees. Can you say this with me? Ready? See a need, hit your knees. I don't mean do this. That's not what I mean. I mean do this. Get down and humble yourself before God. If you see a need, hit your knees. Uh, What did you recognize here from Nehemiah's response? When he heard the report that came from his brother, what was the first thing that he did? He didn't go to the king. He, he didn't get, talk to an architect. He didn't think, oh, well, let me, let me ask about how some other town is doing. He saw a need. It wounded him to his heart, to his soul. And so his first response is to pray. How, how do we do on this? How are you doing on this? Uh, because I uh, firmly believe that you're going to have moments in your life where needs are going to arise. Or problems are going to show up. It's human nature to, and temptation to think, "Well, let me check my bank account first and see if we can cover this. Let's see if we have enough to get through and get by." Or let's let's call the good doctor. Let's—I know the person who has this and has that. I got a call this week from one of my dearest friends. Well, I served as a missionary in the Caribbean, and she called, and I was just elated to hear her voice again. It's been over a year since I talked with her. And then my countenance dropped because she went on to tell me how the doctors uh, did a mammogram and got a biopsy, and it's cancer. And she's in her 40s. And she lives out in the middle of nowhere. She doesn't have access to good health care. You know what her first response was? was to call me and ask me to do what? Pray. Ask me to pray. How are we doing on this? See a need, hit your knees. See a need, hit your knees. we got to learn this. we got to adopt it into our lives. You've got to pre-plan it because the needs are going to come and your, your temptation, your inclination, human nature, is not going to be to look to God. You've got to plan to look to God. He was completely... Caught off guard. Nehemiah was completely surprised by this report. He was having a great day until he heard the report. But you know something? God wasn't caught off guard. God wasn't surprised by this. God knew all along the purpose for which the report was given so that God would be shown to be glorified. So why not call God? There was a movie back in the 80s called The Ghostbusters. Anybody? they redid it a while back because that's the thing Hollywood does now they remake movies but they had a line in it right um, who are you gonna call ghost. yeah that's right yeah why well because it's a ghost <laughs> what am I gonna do right you gotta call somebody uh, if you got water leaking through your uh, ceiling or your basement, you call a plumber, right? Or the lights go out, you call the electrician. If you got a ghost showing up, you call the Ghostbusters. Well, who do you think you should call for any problem, any trial, any challenge, anything that you face in this world? You should call God. He is right there and He is ready. I didn't talk to Angel about her message this morning to the kids, right? But did you hear it to the kids? Like, what, what, is, what is our response? It's to pray to God. And it's not to pray that routine prayer. No, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray message. No, you talk to God like you would a friend. You talk to God in the same way that you would turn to anyone that you trust. If you see a need, hit your knees. I want us to just examine very briefly, too, the prayer that Nehemiah gives. Because if you can recall, we studied prayer for six weeks back in January. And I offered to you a formula that you can follow, right? It was called ACTS, A-C-T-S. Well, Nehemiah right here, um, he shows us that in our passages from verse 4 all the way down to the end of verse 11, follow a structure. Notice, first of all, he begins with adoration. Look with me back at, um, in verse 5. He said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God... Is your God awesome, church? Yes. That's who He is. This is who He is. So you tell God who He is. He says the God who keeps His covenant of love. That's who God is. So He begins His prayer with adoration. Just loving on God. What's the second thing He moves to? Confession. Go ahead. Say it loud. What is it? It's confession. It's confession. Look with me now here in verse, uh, the end of verse 6 into 7. Right in the middle it says, I confess the sins we Israelites including myself and my father's house. You see what he does? He gets real with God. He doesn't just say, oh, God, those other, the remnant, they've sinned against you. They've done wicked in your, what does he say? Right here. You can't get past the threshold of my own heart to find that wickedness dwells here. And so the second part of his prayer follows confession. The third part is a kind of thanksgiving where he recalls both God's promise, the Israelites' departure from that promise, and God's return to bring the people back. Uh, The book of Nehemiah is is really coupled with the book that comes before it in your Bible. It's the book of Ezra. And for years, uh, the Jewish people kept these two books together. Well, in the book of Ezra, the people go back to Jerusalem. The people go back. God reclaims them back, and this is what he's giving thanks for. Here in verse 10, Or in verse 9 at the end, he says, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. See, God brought his people back. And Nehemiah gives thanks to God for that. And then lastly, supplication is the word that simply means you ask God for what you need. So I've adored God. I've said who he is. I've confessed my sins before God where I know my standing. I've given thanks to him. That he doesn't treat me according to my sins, but has blessed me. And now at the end of my prayer, I ask him for what I need. Did you see what Nehemiah asked for? Verse 11. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attended to the prayer, this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. And here it is. Give your servant success today. Nehemiah knows he's got to go before the king. And he knows he needs whose help for that. He needs God's help. You See, a need... Hit your knees. The second thing I want you to see from these three panels after prayer is praise. It's as simple as this Give God the credit he deserves. Give God the credit. So if you look with me back in chapter 2, you'll see the list of things that Nehemiah asks for, right? He asks for, uh, first of all, that he'd have leave from his job to go back to his hometown. Now, how many of you imagine you could get that time off work? Your boss going to let you have that? How many weeks? Be honest now. Like a day, right? It's not going to work. That's a tricky thing to ask for. Uh, I need God's help. I need him to move in the heart of the king to give me what I'm asking for. And so that's the first thing that he gets. Secondly, he asks for these letters because he knows if he heads out as a foreigner and the people of that country find him saying, hey, what are you doing here? Get back where you belong. He needs a letter so that he can get to Judah. The king gives him the letter. Not only that, but he knows once he shows up he's not going to have anything to do the rebuilding work. You might have heard a phrase as we read through this, right? The gates were burned with fire. Yeah, why get specific with that? Well here's why. What happens to wood when it's burned? How much of it is left? Yeah. The point of this is showing that the walls, which are made of rock, are there and the rubble is still there. That can be reused. But what about the timber? It's gone. So he's not going to have what he needs to do the work unless he gets it. And so he also asks for the timber. But notice, it's not just timber for the beams of the gates, but it's timber for the temple, for the city wall, and, did you see this, for his own house, for a residence for him to live in. Now who thinks this is asking for a lot? You are really putting a steep bill of sale here up to the table of the king. And look at his response in verse 8. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. Notice he doesn't say, because I put in my uh, 15 years I've been at this company, right? I, I paid my dues. Uh, my overtime sheets show that I'm due a little bit extra or I'm so talented and you wouldn't be alive if it weren't for me. I'm the cupbearer. I'm making sure you're... He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't recount God's favor, the king's favor upon his life to grant his request based upon anything he does. Who does he give credit to? Give credit to God. Why is that so hard for us to do? So much in our lives have been accomplished. You have blessings upon blessings. If you don't think so, just pay attention to what some other countries have. Some other folks in other lands and what they suffer through and struggle with. And think of the blessings that you today enjoy. How often do you give thanks for those things? How often do you give God credit for those things? I hope, I hope you do. But you've got to give credit where credit is due. I once heard a challenge from a preacher who said this, What if you only had tomorrow what you thank God for today? Would that change how you pray? What if you only get tomorrow what you thanked God for today? Because the blessings that you and I enjoy, they don't come because of the sweat of our brow, our talent, what we put into it, it comes by the gracious." of God himself. So I want you to see that. Give God the credit. You found it there in verse 8 at the end. And because of his gracious hand upon me, uh, uh, the gracious hand of my God was upon me, that's why the king granted success. So give God credit. Alright, lastly is this. Uh, this is a new word for me. Pertinacity. Isn't that a cool word? Say that with me. Ready? Pertinacity. I like it because it sounds like a combination of like perseverance and tenacity. Like it You squish those two together, you get pertinacity. Uh, The word means to be somebody who don't give up. I don't give up. I don't quit. I'm devoted. I'm willing to go even when it's hard. I'm going to press on. I'm not going to give up. That's what this word means. And here's what I want you to see. You and I need to learn to put our faith into action. We need to learn to put our faith into action. You'll notice at the very end of our story, at the end of chapter 2 today, you had those, uh, those two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah. And did anyone recognize they found another buddy, Geshem? Did you see that? That's what happens, you know. Have you, have you ever encountered where you got people complaining, and the more they're complaining, suddenly other people want to jump in on that and kind of gang up together? That's what's going on in Nehemiah. Not only were they mocking, not only were they ridiculing, but look at what they say. What? Verse 19, what is this you're doing? What are you guys doing? You're wasting your time. Are you rebelling against the king? Look, at they're trying to put an accusation against them. But I want you to see Nehemiah's response, all right? You got to watch this. Because Nehemiah, first of all, you see that he's moving from the heart? He's moved to go and do this work. And it was a mess. I mean, it was such a mess that his horse couldn't even make it through the rubble. Remember that? He couldn't even make it through the ruins, and he's faced with this insurmountable task. Come on, guys. Stick with me. Just five more minutes, then we're going to finish this up. Imagine if you were Nehemiah and you had to rebuild the walls around an entire city. Who thinks that's impossible? you you got to call more contractors. <laughs> you got to get some better bids. Or we need to you know, put some fundraisers together for this impossible. Nehemiah, how are you going to do this? So not only is he having to walk with this faith of this impossible challenge that sits before him, but now he's got these dudes who are coming to discourage him and tear him down and ridicule him and try to be a you hear the phrase stick in the mud? You guys know what that is? Just that stick in the mud. You're, you're, not, you're not helping us along. In fact, you're trying to stop us. And I want you to see his response. He says these words in verse 20. I answered them. This is what he has to say to those dudes. I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. Again, who is he giving credit to? Giving credit to God. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. He put his faith into action. He put his faith into action. I want you to turn with me uh, to the book of James just as we finish up here. Uh, The book of James uh, was where we had our New Testament reading. This will follow for the challenge I want us to uh, leave today with. Book of James, chapter 2, verse 15. Page 1882. James is writing to the church, and he wants them to see the importance of sticking up for the community. He wants the the church to see the importance of living out your faith. Verse 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine your neighbor without clothes? It's hard for us to imagine in America, but I used to work in a country where uh, the Haitian population regularly either had to find clothes to borrow from other people or had to simply wear dirty clothes on over. They don't have a wardrobe filled and dresser drawers filled like we do. It's not only without clothes, it's also without food. They don't have their daily food, something that God has promised. Verse 16, if one of you says to him... I'll pray for you. Go, I, I wish you well. Keep warm and well-fed. But does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, does your Bible say action? If it's not accompanied by action, is dead. The challenge I want, to, I want you to see is that we need to learn to put our faith into action. Uh, most of you were given one of these when you walked in, right? A bulletin? You see the list on the back? Here's the challenge I'd like to give to you I, I, don't, I don't know anybody that can call all these people, and I'm the pastor of the church. I don't know one person that could handle the scope of ministry, but you know something? I know the community, I know God's family. My challenge to you is to call one person. That's it. Pray over this list and see if God would lead you to identify one individual on here that you can call this week. And do something beyond saying, keep well fed and be warm. I'll pray for you. But allow your faith to move you to action. So that the church of God would become his hands and his feet on earth. And that we would truly begin to help our neighbors. I don't know anybody who can do the whole list, but I bet you can do one. So if you feel uh, gutsy enough to take it, that's the challenge I want to give you. Uh, This week, uh, our directories have got many of these numbers in here. If not, ask some folks here because there's a lot of family members here. And just see if you can pick up your phone and see how you can help meet the need of one person this week. All right, a few applications as we finish up. Questions that are printed for you also in your sermon handout. How can you take action today to help answer someone's prayer? Remember, Nehemiah, see a need. Say it again. Ready? See a need. Yes. Hit your knees right away. And then let your faith be turned into action. Secondly, where have you seen God provide? Where is credit due? My family just very recently was blessed with an answer to a huge prayer. I asked many of you to be praying for my wife. She went for a job interview and hot dog. She got the job. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome for That's awesome for a lot of reasons. If you know my wife, her heart beats to be a mom and to be a wife at home. And uh, she's really skilled and has a big, big heart to serve children. And uh, kindergarten position opened up. But the problem in the public school is with kindergarten positions, you're not free to share uh, the name of Jesus Christ. You're not in the public school. But this kindergarten position wasn't in the public school. It was in Bishop Barraga. And... Uh, It went down to a couple other ladies, and though I feel bad they didn't get the job, I'm really glad that my wife did, because it's perfect for her. Now, who do you think knew to bring the perfect job for my wife? Who do you think knew that? I got the clipping out of the newspaper now. What? Come on now. Uh Uh-uh, uh-uh. What? What's it say? Have you seen God provide? Then give credit where credit is due. What about in your own life? Have you seen God provide? Give credit where credit is due. And lastly, uh, do you see a need? Stop and pray now. I'll pray for you later. No, hit your knees, right? Stop and pray now. Let's pray together this morning.